You're listening to Discography Discussion, episode 111, Remembering Never. Presented by DiscussMetal.com. And if you stopped beating a dead horse long enough to serenade it, then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe, that is Dan, that is Jeff. Remembering Never is on the chopping block tonight, gentlemen. You guys ready to get meat-headed? Is there really going to be a lot of chopping, though? Because I don't know about you guys, I had a pretty good time this week listening to this band. They got some chops. Yeah, I'm sorry. All I could think about was that I was too busy beating something, and I stopped to admire it. Yeah, it's a dead horse. Moving oh, on. Okay. Leave Bojack alone, Jeff. <laughs> well, Bojack's kind of like a horse man. And I'm a Even fan better. of that horse man. I see. Does that make me a Bojack horse fan? Yes, it does. And this week was a good week. Very good week. It was a great week. Especially right out of the gates. I was, uh, oh, wait. Is this the right week for, week for that? No. Maybe that's next week. It's a different week. Oh, okay. Spoilers. Jeff just gave away next week's episode. <laughs> and I'm leaving it in the show. I'm going to say it now before anybody else says it. It's at least in my top three favorite freshman albums that we've done in this podcast. What were the other two? Well, that's why I said it's at least because I can't remember off the top of my head because I'm too fucking dumb. Wow. <laughs> Made a numbered list and only remembers one entry. Well, that's why I said we're it, off to a great start. That's why I said at least because I don't want to go back and go, dude, we've done over 100 episodes. So I'm supposed to go through. Oh, yeah, that one. And oh, yeah, it's going to be one of those things. Yes, Jeff, you're supposed to write it down. Remember it forever. It's never supposed to change. Remember, good Apollo Burning Star 4 part one is the greatest album Through the ever. eyes of madness. Thank you, Dan. So I'm here for, man. I'm also here for Remembering Never. Remembering Never is one of my favorite hardcore bands. They're in my top 50. I listen to a lot of hardcore bands. And I can tell you what the other 49 are. You guys you guys want to hear them? I'm pretty sure you may have 50 bands that you could pull out of your ass right now. But you have like one of those bingo turns where it's just constantly mixing. And you just reach in and pull out 50 bands. Well, that's what it is this week. Yeah. I like Remembering Never. I've seen Remembering Never four times live. Nice. I'm lucky to be alive. That brutal, huh? They were very brutal. There was definitely blood in the pits. Lots of windmilling or just... No, my armpits got really, really chapped during one of them. It was like really hot and they had the air conditioning on at the same time and there's all this moisture built up and so my armpits actually got so chapped that they cracked and bled. <laughs> That's fucked up, dude. That's actually a true story. <laughs> You didn't listen to Andy Adkins, did you? There there might have actually been some people drawing blood in the pits, but that's my that's my remembering never story. I remember this band being very preachy from the stage. And not like in a Christian band sort of way, but like in the exact opposite of that. What is it about hardcore bands and preaching? It comes with the territory. I think we've talked about it before where many of them stemmed from the Christian hardcore scene. So they were used to that feel of, I'm going to tell you, and you're going to listen, and now I'm going to scream about it. Well, the first time I saw them, I saw them with Zayo. That explains everything. <laughs> yes, it does. And I remember <laughs> I remember the singer got up on the stage and went on and on for like half an hour about how Jesus isn't real and how it's all fiction and how it's all bad and evil or whatever. And then the next time I saw them, he was all like, so guys, straight edge. Am I right? Am I right? Let's... Let's let's all be straight edge together. Um, every time he seemed very mean, I did not want to approach him after the shows. I imagine very intimidating. That story you just told 
ending with Dan Wayant getting on stage with Zayo and just saying, so I know that Remembering Never came up here and told you guys a lot about how Jesus isn't real. I'm just not sure that's true. No, he definitely did not say that. I don't remember. It's called Lies of Serpents and River of Tears. I I was going to say, I don't remember remember Zayo ever preaching from the stage ever. Like maybe back whenever they first started, but I mean, my experience seeing Zayo live usually boils down to them playing their heaviest songs right out of the gate, pausing for a minute, everybody drinking some water, Scott may or may not crack some jokes, and then they play like for another 45 minutes. Yeah, I can already tell you right now, I didn't, if that's a immediate turnoff for me. I can't stand people preaching at me. It would have been about anything. It would have been for me if the band that was playing hadn't been remembering never because they were so fucking good. Like they really were. Now, granted, I would have rather heard them play for an hour instead of a half hour and then a half hour of preaching. Well, maybe his voice couldn't take it for an hour. So that's why he only did it for a half hour. I don't know, man. He's got some pretty sick pipes on him. He's very loud, boisterous, opinionated, kind of an asshole. I like him. <laughs> of course you do. I think he's a good dude. <laughs> well, before Dan turns this into another episode all about Zayo, I'm going to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, then you can find everything Discography Discussion at DiscussMetal.com. We are on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher. So if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening, and now Dan is going to tell us all about five-star reviews. We love five-star reviews here on Discography Discussion, and the reason we like them is because they make us feel happy. Negative reviews make us feel sad, but not too sad. Whatever kind of review you think we deserve, throw it out there. See, the more times you review us, the more likely we are to be recommended to other people who haven't heard this podcast to listen to podcasts that are like ours. With that being the case, hit us up with those reviews. It's literally the best thing you can do for our podcast if you want to support us. Another way you can support this show is by becoming a Patreon subscriber. $1 a month gets you access to an exclusive album review feed where we talk about albums individually that we listen to every single week. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Pianissimo by Virgin Black. Jeffrey De Los Santos, the actual Mac, commented and said, Pianissimo is more of an epic symphonic album. As part of the trilogy, it makes sense, based on where the two previous albums went. If there was a way to say exactly what we said, except the opposite of what we said, I think Jeffrey just said it. I mean, he's right. He's not wrong. This was all supposed to be part of a collective whole I think the point that we were trying to make was just that it was too long of a wait to get an album from Virgin Black that wasn't really a comeback album. We're a little bit more accustomed to bands that disappear for over a decade to kind of come back in a big way. Yeah, I came in with a whimper, and I know that was by design, but we weren't interested, personally. Over on Facebook, in regards to our Tesseract episode, Robbie... Yeah, I know, right? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Robbie Post says, I prefer Dan over Ash. What? Now I know he's talking about not me, but I'm going to pretend like he is talking about me. Ash can do one thing. He can do it very well, but he's very predictable. Dan is just way more versatile, and he absolutely nails Ash's songs live with a hell of a lot more passion than Ash did. The weird thing about Dan, I think his best work is not with Tesseract, 
I prefer both Sky Harbor albums with him on lead than any Tesseract album. I do agree. He's really good in Sky Harbor. Lance Alligood chipped in and said, I prefer another side project with Dan in it. Zeta, or is it Zeta? Zeta. Okay. So I like Ash's new band, Voices from the Fuselage. So there. Everybody's got all their little extras out of the way. The only thing that's a real challenge for me with Voices from the Fuselage, production quality isn't nearly what it is in Tesseract. Ash gets lost in the mix real bad. I understand where people say that, you know, they that Dan's more versatile. We've never really heard Ash do anything other than that, but I think what Ash does, he does better than just about anybody else. That's just my personal opinion. And uh, I'm going to stick with it in this instance. Sometimes I get swayed on on uh, these reviews, but uh, this this instance, he's just, um, I, yeah, I, I freaking love the dude. There's no other way to put it. It's okay. You can be a fanboy. Uh, I'm straight, and I said that too. I'm a straight up fanboy of his. I mean, it, it just can't be changed. We got an email from Mark. Greetings from Korea. Hey, guys. Just wanted to give you props for the show. I stumbled onto it while trying to find Schwab's podcast episode with Dustin of Thrice. I ended up happily agreeing with most of your takes in the Mars Volta. I guess he's talking about our episode we did with Andrew Schwab about the Mars Volta. Yes. Songs from the Penalty Box, Volume 1 is what got me into heavy music. Love it. I'm curious what Dan's handle was on the Project 86 forums. I was on there for a long time, basically too long, and even became a moderator for a season. I'm going to take a guess. It was Titanius. It was Cries for My Past. You fuck. Thanks for sharing about the contortionists. I've started listening to them as a result. After listening to the Dream Theater podcast and the contortionist one, I've been wondering why you've never covered Between the Buried and Me Clearly, you are aware and enjoy them. Maybe you're saving it. BT Bam is probably the reason I keep listening to heavy music. For a season, they were almost the only metal band I listened to. That's me every summer. But I listen to Colors, The Great Misdirect, and a few others repeatedly, and still do, especially while running or doing some other aerobic exercise. Finally, he says, I appreciate the format of the show. I agree and disagree with all three of your main guys, Dan, Joe, and Jeff. It's usually interesting to hear the discussion. I've given Blindsides the Great Depression one more listen again, and I'll probably do the same for Haste the Day. I have done so little with later Norma Jean, but we'll see how long that lasts. I have some other notes too, e.g. Thursday. Why? (laughs) Overall, just wanted to say hi. That was a very long way to say hi, and greetings to you from the United States. Yeah, thanks so much for the email. Uh, I think I responded to almost all of those questions, except for the handle. I had to go back and remember what that was. I had to go dig through an old Hotmail account I had. I just want him to go eat some kimchi for me. Real kimchi? Real kimchi. Send Jeff jars of kimchi. <laughs> I love kimchi, man. It's uh, my, it's so funny. My wife hates it, and she used to do FMS sales with uh, the South Korean government. So she was always stuck eating it, and she hates it, and it was just always hilarious. And her husband does not feel the same way. I <laughs> know. <laughs> you know, she, she'd come back, and she'd go, oh, I had to eat kimchi today. I'm like, what? Where's mine? Yeah, because, like, kimchi over there is like potatoes here. I mean, it's kind of like a – it's kind of with everything. And it's not spicy. Everybody thinks it's spicy. It can be, just like potatoes can be spicy. If you put seasoning with it, just like, you know, you got spicy potato chips. Huevos Rancheros. And he recorded that. I just wanted to give a huge shout out to our patrons. We got Jeffrey De Los Santos. The actual Mac. Yes, sir. Alexander. 
And I can't read, so we got. I'm gonna go back to that one. Lance Allagood, <laughs> Kiki Koti, do you love me? Zach Barr, I do love you. And I'm gonna scoot up for this because my eyesight sucks. Time to get new contacts. Luis Fernando Pizano Escalante. Luis Fernando Pizano Dano Escalante. Escalante. That's an awesome fucking name right there. I don't even care if it's real. <laughs> oh, it's real. It's badass is what it is. So, Dan, tell me about Remembering Never. Remembering Never is a hardcore metalcore band from the early 2000s that was a staple on Ferret Records, uh, home to a lot of my favorite bands from that time, such as Blood Has Been Shed, Nora, a third band. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> bands like, uh, bands like uh, Scarlet, Blood Has Been Shed, and uh, Nora. And of course, remembering never. I mean, Ferret Records was kind of the shit back in the day. They were right up there with Trust Kill Records and Solid State Records for me as being kind of the most important labels for this type of sound. Their first record is kind of interesting to me. Uh, 2002, She Looks So Good in Red. This is the first I'd really heard of Remembering Never. And it's probably their most different sounding album overall. It sounds a lot like Poison the Well. Changed my mind. I'm not, and I'm going to agree with you, and I'm going to say that's actually a very good thing. Because this freshman release is fantastic. They had an EP out before this that I have not heard, nor can I find, but if you anybody wants to send it to me, you know, send it to me. Digitally or otherwise. She Looks So Good in Red really showcases the more melodic side of the band, and it's kind of funny because I don't really think of Remembering Never as being a super melodic band, even though they are. They're very dynamic, but what I like about She Looks So Good in Red is that it's got the old school metalcore formula of play this riff for 15 seconds and then change to another one. It's a whole bunch of parts put together. It's not really great songwriting, but I just love the way it sounds. There are songs on this album that are just straight porn to my ears. The mixture of emotional screamed vocals and the singing vocals are incredible. Yeah, it's spot on. His singing voice is not amazing, but it's not annoying either. And it sounds really good in the context of what this band is throwing down. Kind of like what we said about Norma Jean, how Corey's vocals may not work in a band that's not Norma Jean. I feel very much the same way about Remembering Never. As everybody knows, I'm not a big lyric guy. So the music aspect of this first album, there's lots of it that just makes me feel good about myself musically. And I'm sure Dan's going to tell me that the lyrics are going to say like how big of a piece of shit they are or something like that. Because that's normally how it works. As soon as I like something, and I, if the sound itself feels uplifting, he's like, yeah, but do you listen to the lyrics, dude? It's totally fucked up. So is that the case again? Yeah. I knew it. I fucking knew it. These are probably not lyrics that the band is that proud of. They're not exactly glass jaw level of misogynistic, but like obviously this dude got hurt really bad <laughs> in a relationship. So he's and like, fuck you. There's a song called Allison's Song. It starts off with, I'd love to drown you in a sea of your own blood. Kisses to me and watch you choke on it. Fuck. <laughs> That's not very uplifting at all. No. Damn. <laughs> no, not even a little bit. Shit, dude. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little rough. Yeah. Um, See, that's why I love being able to stick my head in the, the sand sometimes and just enjoy the music for what it is. With great misery, uh, you can produce great art. And I guess that's really what's going on here. Well, yeah. I mean, in Big Jim's Mistake, he says, 
I hope you slit your fucking wrists to save me the effort of writing your suicide note. Uh, so, I mean, there's there's definitely issues that may have needed some counseling. You yeah. Know? Um, Let's talk about the sound of the album for a second. <laughs> I like how this sounds like a local band saved some money, went into a studio, did the best they could, and put it out. Oh, this sounds great. like an album I would have picked up at a show for five bucks. It would have been a burned CDR, and I wouldn't even care today. It would be sitting on my shelf with all the other discs that I bought at shows and paid five bucks for. No one will ever hear those bands again, but I'll be able to look back on it and say, this was a good band. I'm glad I have this. Yeah, I mean, this definitely sounds pretty typical for early 2000s metalcore. There's absolutely nothing unique about this. Oh, no, I, I disagree. Uh, I think... I think this was proof that they had the stuff. There's tons of bands that play this style, but it's not as compelling as this is. They make really, really good choices musically. It's like a mixture of Poison the Well, and they even throw in some like Dillinger type shit. And I love that that they even their chaotic moments have a melodic edge to them. And I can't get enough of it. Uh, the song "Feathers Made of Heaven," like that song is like porn to my ears. It is, it is literally every single good logical choice you could make playing this style. The breakdown at the end is devastating and beautiful all at the same time. And I think that really puts them a cut ahead of most of the other bands. And as, as far as talking about like how it sounds, it sounds you know kind of rough, but it doesn't sound as bad as like the Blood Has Been Shed album that came out the year before that. It sounds rough in a good way. I hesitate to ask, was this all recorded live? Was this the same scenario as Bless the Martyr? I have no idea because there's next to no information about this band online. Yeah, it's really hard. I like that is one of the things, even if I don't look at lyrics, I at least like to look at the background of a band. The closest I could find is that the singer is in another band called Bishop. And like it mentions that he was in Remembering Never. But there's really not a whole lot of information. So... A lot of what I'm going off of is just on my own memory of following the band in the early 2000s. Yeah, we're going to have to lean on you on this one. No so if question. you ever have questions about remembering never, you need to reach out to Dan at DiscussMetal.com. Uh, I mean, you know, maybe. Yeah, I just, I can't get over the lyrics to this album. I think it's the only thing that kind of hurts it. Um, some of it's kind of like a little bit lame, like... Feathers Made of Heaven, which is a song I love musically, it just starts off with eyes like an angel, blood runs like a whore. And it just seems really, like, really immature because I think that's what it fucking is. <laughs> and uh, th there's another song called Blue where he says, Bat your eyes a thousand times. I have dreams of touching your face. I never thought it could be this good. I'll never forget you. Not in a million years. Something about how good you look underwater. It's like, oh, come on, dude. Like, really? Everybody's everybody's done the, like, <laughs> look at me. I'm sensitive and dark, but I'm also, like, a killer and shit. Which is totally fine if you're, like, Cannibal Corpse. But that's the trope of the early 2000s hardcore, when it started to become emo. It was always about me in this lake, and your body is a corpse now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really kind of lame looking at it now. I was totally into it whenever I was younger. You're but still it just into seemed, it, dude. It seemed, like, it seemed like most of the bands from this time period were either singing about Jesus or singing about killing women. There was like no middle ground. And some of the bands that sang about Jesus sang about killing women. So, you know, what do you do? You get your heart broken when you're 14 and you're like, oh, my God. You know, but 
What's interesting about this album in particular is that if you go to see Remembering Never right now, which I don't even know if they're still playing, their last release was in 2013, so I don't know. But if you were to go see them again, you would notice that they will not play any songs off of this album. And I think the the misogynistic, lame 14-year-old lyrics are largely the reason why. Because whenever we get to 2004's Women and Children Die First, you've almost got a completely different band lyrically. It sounds like a less intense Converge. Yeah, that's a pretty good comparison. Uh, I like that it's got a little bit of this like Converge chaos or maybe even some Dillinger in there. Some of that early dead guy type of sound to it. This record is notably more brutal than She Looks So Good in Red. Like they kind of they kind of dropped the emotional side of things and just went straight for the throat and the lyrics reflect that as well. Really? I thought it was just a little bit. <laughs> no, it is it is a different band pretty much. I was uh surprised uh because this was my first go around with this band i haven't been a big fan like dan has been so it was just like man they kind of totally changed gears here and then like we went from like 45 miles an hour to 120 well yeah it's like you go from being poison the well to being like hate breed although way better than hate breed in my opinion uh what i like about this album is that it's super brutal I love the evolution of the screaming vocals. They sound a lot more desperate and a lot more like, I don't know, just more authoritative. Like, it, it sounds like it hurts when he screams. Like, it's not like a deep, tough guy scream. It's still kind of like a more... Uh, it's raw. It's very raw. Yeah. He sounds a little bit like Sean Jonas on the uh, Symphony and Peril albums. I love whenever they break into more melodic segments and he just kind of talks over it, which is something that I did religiously when I played in bands. And uh, I picked up a little bit of that from Remembering Never and Poison the Well. But with this album, this is where they lyrically shift from talking about shit that just, you know, this bitch broke my heart and now she's dead. They have switched more to, like, tackling topics of religion and some straight edge themes and just more, like, social issues. And this is where the singer being loud and opinionated really comes to the forefront. So they were the stereotype and somehow became more the stereotype? Well, they, it's kind of like they just jumped into another stereotype. But I think it's unique. I, like, I think his, his take on things are pretty unique, if not a little bit overdone, as we'll talk about later. Uh, the album starts off with a song uh, called uh, The True... I'm sorry, For the Love of Fiction. And that song is clearly about how like he doesn't believe in God doesn't understand how other people can't believe in God um, he's very passionate about it I love his delivery on this I didn't appreciate the 20 or 30 minute sermon he gave afterwards uh, whenever I saw him play it live uh, but I do I do enjoy the song I enjoy the sentiment and uh, he seems very passionate about about the topics that he's talking about and I like that there still is clean singing on this, but it's not like emo at all. I don't hear anything unique about this. This sounds like a lot of bands. So I'm not really sure what you're hearing that would be unique in 2004. I wouldn't say that it's unique. I don't think that I said it was unique at any point. You actually said it was unique. I said that five his, minutes ago. I said that his take was. <laughs> I said that his take was unique. His so his lyrics. His lyrics are unique. 
because a lot of bands that sounded like this back then were still talking about broken hearts and failed relationships. And this guy's going to basically try to save the world for us. Oh, so his take is, that's all stupid. What are you doing? You're wasting your time. Yes. But I'm doing it the same way that you are, so yes. I'm working against myself. He's equally as evangelistic for atheism as he is, as Christians are for Christianity. Yeah. Which isn't as noticeable on this record. There's the one song, and that's cool. That's what he decided to talk about. Yeah, there's one song. I think it's, it's either on the third or the fourth album that I really... <laughs> that I even noticed. I was like, holy shit, dude. Yeah, like, he really hates religion, and he kind of hates everybody that's not him. And I think that's the thing that kind of drags it down for me a little bit is he has such a strong opinion on things that I don't see him being someone that you could sit down and have a conversation with. Yep. Anybody who's a, a zealot and or essentially overzealous about anything, I tend to not take too seriously. I always try to go into things with as open mind as possible because I know I'm not the only person with the perspective. So if I, and that's the whole reason why I, I have a hard time with people who preach because they're so zealous in their desire to, to get their point across. To change minds. To change minds that they're not willing to have their own mind changed. And that just kind of turns me off. In a certain sense, though, he did change his mind, or at the very least changes his approach from the first album. You're right. And actually, I wish that that was one of the reasons why I wish we could find more background. What made him go from those pig-headed 14-year-old lyrics uh, to the direction that he started to go? I mean, what changed that? Yeah, it was only in two years. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, something really prophetic had to happen to the guy, uh, you know, it, to do so that quickly and with that much zeal. It's interesting too that they would stop selling their songs or selling their albums on tours and only focus on the new material. That's kind of uncommon. Oh, is that that actually happened? Yeah, they they oh, refuse wow. to pl they will never play a song. Why well, didn't even off realize of the first album live and they won't even sell the CDs to you at a show. Holy cow. That's crazy. Now I'm sure the label probably still sold the CD <laughs> you know, sure. for as long as they could because right. money Right. The more and more we talk about it, the more it sounds like a conscious decision on his part. Picture, if you will, if you've got three emo bands from the early 2000s that are all singing about dead girls in lakes, and they're on tour together, they're either best friends or they hate each other. And if they're best friends, then the plan is to just go out and present one show, one theme. But if you're punk rock about it, you listen to the music, you say, I can do that better than the guys up on stage right now. But if you hate the message, you've skipped the part where the music and the trope is the message. People are expecting to hear one message come out of this style of music. And you have to consciously decide that I'm just going to do the opposite. So when you start talking about how they don't even sell the first album anymore, that sounds like a conscious decision to stop being the stereotype of 14-year-old dude singing about 14-year-old girl. Well, it's the same thing that I've been saying since we started this show. Sometimes bands will have lyrics that are vastly incompatible with later lyrics or earlier lyrics. And I think the message of women and children die first is directly incompatible with she looks so good in red. And again, I think it was just maturity. If I had to take a stab at it, I would say it was general maturity. 
And he was just like, look, I'm not going to perpetuate this mindset anymore. I'm going to try to be more positive, although he's not really positive. But hey, he's trying. So you got to give it that. What I really liked about this record was how heavy it was and how they had taken a turn lyrically to where they wanted to make the world a better place. And that's something that I can appreciate. 2006, God save us. This new light no, has no, brought no, us no. this new knife. No, no, just no. God save us is like women and children die first part two. And this is the part of the band that I'm kind of a little bit more iffy on because I'm like two years went by and there was massive progression between the first and second album. I don't really hear that progression on God save us. If it's any- cosmetic at best. I don't know that the message is different, but the songs sound the same. The message is exactly the same. You have your anti-God song. You have your uh, you have your pro like feminism song, which is new again because again that's incompatible with the first album. So again, he grew with that. But I kind of feel like this dude has a lot to say about a few things. I mean, would you say that's a pretty fair comparison? I mean, I know you guys weren't reading along with the lyrics, but he's pretty easy to understand. Yeah, it's it's it a, definitely gets better along the way. What this the message or the music? The understanding, being able to hear what he's saying. Yeah, because the message is pretty uh, pretty brutal if you don't share his perspective. That's that's what I've gotten out of the last three albums. It becomes insincere too two. when the message changes. But it it the message really doesn't change after he gets out of the dude bro moment. It for three three solid albums uh, just. Him telling you how much you suck. Right. You suck unless you're him. Yeah. And <laughs> so unless you're, if you're not straight edge and you're religious. As we drink our beers. Right. Um, well, I don't disrespect women, at least not that I'm aware of. If I, if I have, I could definitely use some correction on that. But, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm religious and not straight edge. So there's that. But, uh, yeah, I think. I think as far as like how savage their sound is, they've definitely moved more into the tough guy hardcore genre on this record. I feel like Women and Children Die First still had a little bit of that like feedback, like that that converge Dillinger dead guy type of sound. The devil is in Atlanta. It was mixed with... Uh, it was the dissonance. It was mixed with... Yeah, right. And so that's actually what harkened back to the first album. Right. Musically was having kind of that uh, mixed bag of like hardcore, metalcore, and like emo. Uh, that's all gone on God Save Us. It, it's more just like straight thrash beat, you know, beat down hardcore. Like lyrically though, I, I still... I think that's what really saves this record is that he still has a... In his mind at least... A positive message. Yeah. Well, I can tell you right now, this is easily my least favorite of the four. I think it's the most boring. Well, that could be why it's my least favorite. It's There's nothing... Uh, it's, it's, more kinda, the, it's more of the same, but not as good. Yeah. Yeah. It's just run of the mill. That's probably the best way that I would put it. There's nothing that makes me want to harken back to it because I'm not a big lyric guy. You know, maybe if I paid a little closer attention to the lyrics, I, I would have a different perspective. Better, it even give me another reason not to come back to it. I don't know. Right. But yeah, it just, you know, I, I talked about with the lyrics. It's kind of funny because the lyrics were, uh, as we talked about, were really piggish on the uh, the first album. But the music is straight up dude bro on this album, which is really kind of humorous it, to a certain extent. 
especially considering his uh, perspective. I guess there's really nothing else to say then, is there? No, not on this one. I'm not a fan of it now. I really wasn't a fan of it back then. I mean, it's there's still... There's better music. It's competent. Yeah, it's just that uh, we listen to so much, and this is my first go-around. If you're... And, uh, and, and the first two albums are, in my opinion, are vastly superior to this for what they bring to the table. So one of the frustrating things about there not being a lot of written material online about this band is I don't know why there was a seven-year gap uh, between God Save Us and This Hell is Home. I mean, 2013, they're on a different record label because I don't think Ferret even existed anymore in 2013. I'm curious to see how you guys felt about uh, This Hell is Home. Actually, my favorite song is on this album. Oh, which one's that? Just sound-wise. I, just reading the title of the song makes me wonder what the hell is in the lyrics. And let's see if you can guess which one that is. Shit Slinger? No, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> Especially after doing Aborted. United <laughs> Stockholm Syndrome? Yes, that's exactly it. And I figured if there was something fucked up with the lyrics, you would tell me. But I do like the way that song sounds quite a bit. They don't really have fucked up lyrics anymore. That's one thing. They haven't really had fucked up lyrics since the first album. No, I just mean like I, I maybe fucked up is the you know the wrong uh, terminology here, but just on, on how uh, wrong I am about what I'm listening to. I mean, it's just an anti-politics song. Oh, okay. Well, I'm done with that. I don't like politics in my music, so yeah, they're I mean, if they're not... telling me not to listen to to well, the no, politics, it's, I'm it's, done with that. It's Okay, well, you didn't let me finish what I was going to say. It's My a, bad. Go for it. It's an anti-politics general song. It's not like a anti-Republican. No, that's what I'm getting at. It, that that's If it's just anti-politics, I'm down. I, we've had this discussion before, you know, because I've gotten grilled before on that. Yeah, if, it, if you're just going to tell me fuck politics in general, that's right where I'm at. I don't like politicians at all. So, yeah, I, I, can, I can feel that. But the song itself is fucking awesome. Except the, uh, I think there's some, some like, somebody's going purposely sharp, I think, on this song, in, in on some of the high parts. Yeah. And that's kind of off-putting a little bit. But, yeah, I listened to it again, and I'm like, okay, yeah, that I kind of dig that, that it's, like, purposely off-putting. I kind of like that. It makes you, it, it kind of snaps you out of real, uh, out of uh, La La Land and back to reality. Makes you listen to this, to the song. What I think is interesting is the song Monkey Suit, which is like clearly about the dude quitting his job. I don't know <laughs> if anybody else picked that up, but I mean, it literally, if, if you don't mind me reading more lyrics, Joe, uh, lyrics to Monkey Suit are punch the clock of my 40 hour suicide. These four walls torment me slowly, blinding me insane, sterile, white, green eyed, white devil. I'd spit in your face if you came to my level in an unappreciative piece of shit, begging to be the next sucker. Every day I'm hustling, hustler. A suit dressed with a shit-eating grin, smiles with a forked tongue, belly exploding. This monkey suit will never define me. I'm taking everything. Nothing is safe in my eyes. I've been to your house. I know your secrets. See you in hell. Two weeks. Burn, motherfucker. Nice. I'm surprised you gave his two weeks notice. I know. I was like, that's actually kind of respectful. Yeah, I was going to say, yep, he's grown up. <laughs> yeah, like, burn, motherfucker, in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is you're giving me your two weeks notice? Yeah, fucker. Okay then. It's just weird. What's the problem? It's just weird. I, I, I mean, I mean, sir, fucker. <laughs> it's just weird considering the lyrical content of the last three albums that, that he would have a song like that on there. Like obviously, maybe shit wasn't going very good for the band between 2006 and 2013, and that's why he was having to wear the monkey suit. Maybe that's whenever uh, 
Dead Truth Records called him up and was like, we want you guys to make another Remembering Never album. He's like, fuck you guys. In two weeks. <laughs> in two weeks, baby. And I got just the song for you. In the context of Remembering Never, this should have been the third album. Oh, I agree. They're I think- not doing anything fancy. They're not doing anything really different, but they are progressing from album number two. Not really. Yeah, this sounds more like Women and Children Die First than God Save Us. And I think there was a little bit more time to write the songs. I mean, seven years. Yeah, that's quite I'm a bit talking about a production standpoint, though. Well, yeah. There's an actual progression from how this album sounds versus the previous album. If the lyrical content or these songs themselves don't change... If you're a fan, that's what you want. I think one of the hardest things about this record is just that it's a little hard to take the lyrical approach seriously in 2013. He's still just as on fire about shit as he was back in 06, but for some reason it just seems like there was so much growth between the first and second album, and we've basically just gotten the same fucking story from Remembering Never for three albums straight. And it's like, dude, I get it. You're pissed off. You're angry. Everybody's wrong but you. Like, come on. I'm glad I don't pay attention as closely to lyrics sometimes, and this might have worked in my favor for a change. Because most of the time it works against me. Musically, they're a fun band to put on and just and just mosh, you know? <laughs> like, they're a band that's fun to listen to while you're exercising or lifting weights or you being dude bro. Yeah, I like this song too, Ele- Electroligion. Oh, it's a great dude. The cleans are Yeah, I love awesome. the, the falsetto on it was unexpected in a, in a pleasant way. Well, it's kind of weird because his voice, obviously, like, he's an older man now. So, like, he could never probably pull off some of those vocals that he did on the first two albums now. But I like that he just kind of keeps singing anyway. It's an evolution of his sound. Yeah, I actually like his sound more on this record than I did on anything else. Maybe that's because I'm a curmudgeonly old man myself, so I can I can appreciate it. Way to call <laughs> yourself out on that one, Jeff. Hey, I got to do it every now and again just before you guys do it because I know it's going to come. I guess with Remembering Never, it's kind of hard to quantify how important they were to the scene. I mean, I feel like if they were super important, they'd have a Wikipedia page. Uh, But I really enjoyed what they were throwing down back in the early 2000s. And it kind of bummed me out because after I heard Women and Children Die First and read the lyrics, I really had this expectation of, wow, this band's going to go on to become something really incredible. So I think overall, I still love the band, but I'm kind of just disappointed overall at the direction that they've gone in and that they kind of just found something that worked on Women and Children Die First and they just did that forever. That could be the reason why there's a seven-year gap and they had to write a song called Monkey Suit. It could be. (laughs) Because sometimes more of the same doesn't work. I do think it's weird that they refer to a suit as a monkey suit. Like It just sounds like something somebody really old would say. When you're wearing a suit and tie, I hope he's wearing his monkey suit. It just seems kind of weird. <laughs> he also kind of he also kind of makes fun of fat people on this. Like he's like stuff the food into your fat fucking face. <laughs> like and like in monkey suit, he's talking about how like this person's belly is exploding and stuff. I'm like, dude, I get it. You take care of yourself. I don't. Stop fucking judging me. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, watch the skinny dude over here out eat everybody else in this room right <laughs> i mean sometimes that's just how that shit goes jeff could could be a hot dog eating contest winner i seriously thought about it and i don't know if that was supposed to be double entendre on your part or not <laughs> i mean it wasn't but now that i think about it 
Sure. We, we were talking about Ash earlier. There you go. <laughs> Final thoughts on Remembering Never. Dan. Remembering Never is definitely a band that you should check out historically. Uh, they're a really good example of what metalcore was in the early 2000s, like like the pre-Azley Dying boom. Uh, I think they had a really cool sound in 2002, an even cooler sound in 04. I would say probably just stick with those first two records, though, because you're never going to hear anything that you haven't heard on those two records from this band. Jeff, what about you? Uh, I'm going to disagree with Dan a little bit. I actually did enjoy This Hell is Home. Yeah, it might be a little bit more of the same, but I felt like they softened the edge in a, in a proper way. It's kind of a, uh, like a, m- a more mature version of uh, Women and Children Die First. It, it, yeah, it doesn't have that brutality and that edge, but it still sounds great, and I really enjoyed it. This was my first go-around with this band, so I'm not going to have you know deep thoughts with Jack Candy uh, on this particular episode. I like the dude's vocals. He's fucking brutal. And uh, the music, for the most part, is okay. I really, really, really liked She Looks So Good in Red from the musical aspect. Yeah, I don't like the, you know, the 14-year-old pig lyrics. That shit doesn't work well with me, and it's part of the reason why I tend to avoid lyrics in general. But, yeah, it was was much easier to listen to than I was expecting. And uh, I'd say three of the four albums, I I would say... uh, definitely check out just uh forget about god saves us or god save us overall i'm not impressed i'm sure this band was important when this style of music was the thing that everybody wanted to do they succeed in creating a small pocket of music that is good in its own universe in the genre of hardcore or dissonant hardcore or I wouldn't even call this metalcore, but what it is, other people have done better and other people have done way too much of it that eventually sounded like shit and turned into something that wasn't hardcore. Remembering Never comes up on my playlist. I'm going to listen to it, but I cannot see myself sitting down and listening to this album again. It's just not what I'm into. Sorry, it's really hard to concentrate with Bell Lugosi. In the back. I'm glad we both left that in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dan, what's your album of the week? Uh, my album of the week this week is Slaughter of the Soul by At the Gates. Nice. That's some that's some tastiness right there. It is. Might be the only thing they did that was tasty. But... Hey, shut up. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> Jeff, what about you? Um, I'm going with Coral Fang by The Distillers. It's an uh, Australian punk band. And they finally got back together and they have a new album coming out. So I'm very much excited about that. So I had to go back and, and listen to uh, some of their older stuff. Faceless by Godsmack. Oh, I'm sorry. I got that all over your mic. <laughs> I'm just teasing, dude. It's okay. You're the guy that cleans it and rewires it. Yes, that's very true. <laughs> now the question is, can we have it disassembled and get the shaft powder coated? Uh, I don't do powder coating. Do you know a guy? He does a lot of shafts. No, I, I honestly, I don't know anybody who does powder coating. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to our podcast. We really appreciate you guys. Just want to let you know that if you want to reach out to us or ask us any questions, you can find us on Facebook under Discography Discussion. You can find us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. You can even send us an email at Show at gmail.com. We respond to all of it. We're always checking that stuff out. But something really cool that some of our listeners have started using is the official Discography Discussion Discord server. 
it's pretty cool whenever it's like 7 a.m. and you send a question in and one of us answers it right away. Uh, Discord's a really cool chat server. We're on it all the time. We respond to this stuff as quickly as we can. We'd love to see you guys on there. And uh, again, just thanks for listening. Uh, without you guys, there'd really be no reason to do this. And on that note, this has been episode 111 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things discography discussion. And please send questions and comments to Show at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at patreon.com forward slash discuss metal. We have some sweet perks. Give me your money. Not everything seems clear. The future's not so bright. The only chance is not to waste your life. Have hope and have no fear. The truth walks by your side. I'm sure